John 4, 35. We're going to get right into it today. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. I want to speak today on the time to harvest, the time to harvest. Father, in the precious and holy name of your son Jesus, we are seeking for, asking for, and expecting the anointing of your spirit upon the preached word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Lift your hand and just thank the Lord for his word today. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question today. After you plow and plant, after you water and weed, after you watch and wait, when that field comes in, whether you've planted corn or beans or wheat or whatever you've planted, after those seeds have grown and they are full grown and they produce, they bear the fruit. What is that called? Say it again. That is a great answer. It's the wrong answer, but it's a great answer. That's called a crop. When you look out in the field and that that's in the field, whether it's corn or wheat, or beans, or whatever it is, thank you, when it's out there in the field, that is called a crop. It is not a harvest until you harvest it. The only thing that makes a crop a harvest is to go out and harvest it. So after you have plowed, and after you have planted, and after you have watered and after you have weeded and after you have watched and worried and waited. After all of that, the job is not done. If you want to harvest, then you've got to go and harvest that blessing that God has brought forth. The Bible uh, talks at least about four kinds of harvest and maybe more. And we want to go through those today. But before we do, I want to tell you that it is God's will that you have a harvest. God is the God of the harvest. In fact, in Psalm 107, starting verse 35, it says of our God, He turns the wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There He makes the hungry to dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them that they multiply greatly and He does not let their cattle decrease. The Lord wants us to have a harvest. Now, the Jews thought of seed time. They thought of the time of sowing, the time of planting. They thought of that as a hard, difficult, arduous time. In fact, the psalmist said that you go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. But they did not think of harvest in terms of responsibility. They didn't think in harvest in terms of the difficulty of the task. They thought of harvest as a time of joy. That it was work, yes, but it was joyful work. They had What they had been waiting on, watching for, all of their work, all of their effort was coming to pass. In fact, it was a time for a celebration. It was a time for Thanksgiving, that's why we celebrate 
Thanksgiving in the fall in the United States is because of the pilgrims when they had finally been able to plant some crops and have something to live off of. They feasted out of Thanksgiving for the harvest and God wants you to have a harvest and he wants you to know the joy of harvest. Isaiah 9, 3 says, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. God wants you to know the joy of a fruitful and plentiful harvest. And there are four areas that I see in Scripture that produce a harvest. The first is what I call the ethical harvest. The ethical harvest. Now, what ethics means is this. Ethics mean moral principles that govern a person's behavior or uh, that governs the conducting of any activity. So, an ethical harvest is this, that living right pays off. That when we sow the right things into life, we're going to get blessed by sowing those right things. And that's what Galatians 6, 7 through 10 talks about. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So if a person sows bad things in life, they're going to have some bad harvesting. The problem, again, with sowing wild oats is that there's a harvest of wild oats. And a lot lot of people get this, but... After a person is redeemed, saved, born again, if they continue to reap some of the harvest of seeds that they have sown, they can't expect that there's still not going to be some struggles that come from harvest of bad seeds. That's why, thank God that if you're on your deathbed, you cry out to God, He'll save you. Thank God He'll do that. But I don't want to wait till then. I don't want to live a life that is full of bad harvest and other people around me suffer because I sowed bad seeds all of my life and just squeaked in by the grace of God. I want to have a life that has had good seeds planted and has good things happen. Doesn't mean we're never going to have a storm. Doesn't mean ever, ever mean that hell won't damage our crops. Doesn't mean we won't ever have a drought. Doesn't mean there won't be problems. Doesn't mean we're not going to have to labor by the sweat of our brow. All of those things are true, but the fact remains that whatever we sow, that's what we will reap. Hosea 8 and 7 said, If you sow to the wind, you will of the wind reap the whirlwind. And so the uh, Galatians, Paul said, 6, 8, He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. So what you reap is what you're going to sow. However, if you sow good things, but those who sow to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap, reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart or if we faint not. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. Do the right thing. Do good things. Conduct yourself in a godly, righteous manner. And when you do, you'll have a good harvest in your life. And then this is one that I almost shy away from because it's been so misused and misabused. And you don't want people to think you're one of those blab it and grab it kind of preachers. However, I would be remiss not to teach you what the Bible says about an economic harvest. There is a reality that when you sow into the good ground of God's kingdom, you will be blessed in kind. Yes, there's a lot of other blessings that are more important than money. 
But there is the promise of the word of God that if we will test him by tithing and giving, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing that we cannot contain. He said, Jesus said, give and it shall be given to you. And when you go to fill up your sack, he said, it's going to be given to you so much that it's going to be pressed, pressed down, packed down in the sack. And not only is, after they press it down and, and jiggle it, juggle it, try to get it, all that in it, it's going to be pressed down, but it's also going to be running over. Will men give into your arms if you support the kingdom of God with all of your uh, heart, and that includes your finances. So this is what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, by the way, the church will take money from old grouches. But God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now what he's saying is this, is that when you sow into the kingdom of God and God sees that he can trust you with financial resources, God will multiply to you financial resources so that you can then take those financial resources and sow back into the kingdom of God and bless others with it. This is not about prosperity for prosperity's sake. This is about God using what we have in our hand to fund the kingdom of God. And the God's the kingdom economics include finances but are not limited to finances. In the kingdom economics, God expects us to apply that same principle to our time, to our talent, and to our treasures. He doesn't want us to spend all of our time on us. He wants us to dedicate time to his work and to his people. He doesn't want us to spend all of our treasure on us. He wants us to dedicate some treasure to him and to his people. He doesn't want us to expend all of our talent on ourselves. He wants us to be a blessing to him and to other people. That is the economic harvest that we receive. And then there is the, what I call the end-timed harvest. And the end-time harvest is this. In Matthew 13, starting in verse 24, and I, I won't read it all to you uh, for the sake of time. But Jesus said, verse 24, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And he said the grain began to sprout and the tares began to sprout and they, they came up and the, the servant saw that the tares were growing among the wheat and they went to him said, what should we do? And he said, leave it alone. Because if you start plucking out tares, you're going to get some wheat also. But whenever uh, the judgment day comes, whenever the harvest comes, verse 30, that the time of harvest, you'll gather the tares and bind them into bundles and burn them, but the wheat you'll gather into my barn. Now, a tare, they think, was something that's called the bearded darnel. And it looked, as it grew, it looked like wheat. 
And for in the maturing stage, you could not tell the difference between that. In fact, don't be offended by this, but this is what the Jews referred to it as. They referred to it as bastard wheat. They thought of it as wheat that had gone astray. They thought it of, of, as wheat that had been corrupted by the curse of sin. And they said it would grow and it looked just like wheat until it reached a certain time, a point. But after a while when the head began to grow on the wheat and the head began to grow on the darnel, they could tell the difference. And here's the way it is. You may think that you're fooling everybody. You may think that you've got everything under control. You may think that you are, are uh, all of that in a bag of chips and nobody knows what you're really like, who you are underneath. Nobody knows the things you're thinking, the things you're doing. You may be here this morning and think that you are the epitome of what a Christian should look like. But listen, after a while, just keep on, after a while, sin's going to rear its ugly head. After a while, it's going to be exposed. It'll all come out on wash day. It'll be exposed what kind of people we really are. And so they wondered, well, what should we do? Should we go out and tear out the tares? And Jesus, or the master said, no, you can't do that because you're going to get some wheat. Now, here's two reasons. One is, is that we don't have the ability always to discern tares from wheat. And sometimes when we get so eager in pulling out tares, we're going to mistake. It's bad. It is bad to mistake tares for wheat. But it is worse to mistake wheat for tares. It is worse for you to pluck out somebody who's in the faith because you're overzealous in trying to pluck out those that are not. But not only that, but the roots of the tares and the wheat grow together. And when you start trying to pluck out the tare, you are inadvertently going to pluck out some wheat. I want to tell you there's some things in the world and some things even in the church that concern me sometimes. And sometimes I kind of want to be, you know, I want to tear up the tares. I want to go out and expose things. I don't like when people are insincere. I don't like people that are in it for themselves. I don't like when they deceive people. But what, just as surely as I go trying to pluck out some tares, I end up hurting some innocent wheat. In fact, after that they grow the kernel, the grain of the bearded darnel and of the wheat are about the same size and shape. Only the kernel of the, of the darnel, that kernel is a slightly gray color and you can tell it from the kernel of wheat because it's a slightly gray uh, kernel. Listen to me. You may fool it, fool everybody. You may fake it until you make it to the harvest. But when the harvest comes, <laughs> the Lord knows those that are his. He knows the wheat from the tares. And I'm going to tell you that just like that kernel, that kernel has a different color, on judgment day your true colors are going to shine through. There's a harvest at the end of this world. In fact, one of the reasons they wanted to get that kernel out of there is that kernel, uh, when you ate it, it was bitter to the taste. It occurs to me that a lot of people that have a bad taste in their mouth from the church may have not got a hold of wheat. They may have just got a hold of some of the darnel, some of the tares. In fact, it would make a person dizzy and nauseous. It would make them sick. It would even have a narcotic effect to it because it was not the wheat. But here's what he said. He said, uh, when he explained it to them, he said, but when the end comes, he said this, the son of man is the one that sowed uh, the, the wheat 
the good seed. The field is the world. And the, uh, uh, the harvesters are the heavenly angels that the Son of Man's going to send. He's going to gather up the tares and the wheat. And the wheat he's going to take to heaven and they're going to shine like the sun. But the tares are going to be thrown into the furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hear the warning of the harvest. <laughs> the harvest at the end of time is scary for those that are tares. But it is the hope of the wheat. And I want to make sure that I'm part of God's harvest. Now I don't have time to develop this, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you this. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, you can read it. During the Passover, they had at the end of Passover, they had what was called the, the Feast of First Fruits. And they would take the first, the very first fruits of the harvest and they would wave it before the Lord and give it to the Lord. And here's what they were saying. They would say, first of all, Lord, we know our harvest came from you and so we're honoring you with our first fruits. That's the reason that we tithe off of the first fruits of our income. And somebody said, well, do you tithe on your net? Or on your gross. Well, that depends on, do you want him to bless your net or you want him to bless your gross? I mean, which one do you want? Now, I'm not going to argue with people about it, but I will say this. It's all right if you feel like you need to tie off your net. I'm not condemning you. But I'll tell you this, I'd rather God get the first part of my money than Uncle Sam. Right? So I don't let Uncle Sam take his part and then give God first fruits of what's left. I want to give God the first fruits of that. But this is not a message about tithing, it's a message about first fruits. But here's the thing, after Passover they go out and wave that and it was saying, Lord, we want to give you the first fruits because we honor you, we know the harvest came from you. But, but we're also stating, just like this first part of the harvest came in, we're trusting you to bring in the rest of the harvest. Now, when Jesus died at Passover, do you know when first fruits came? It came on the first day of the week. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Now Christ has risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he said in verse 23, Christ is the first fruits afterwards, those that are Christ at his coming. Listen, one of these days, this old body that's, if, if I don't go in the rapture uh, before I die, this body's going to be laid to rest. It's going to go there to the ground. But one of these days, this even this old body is going to spring forth in a resurrection harvest. And it's guaranteed those that died in Christ, those that we love, those that we have said so long to and cried and wept uh, at their uh, graveside. I want you to know it's not over. One of these days, the trumpet's going to sound and we've got the guarantee of the harvest of those individuals because Jesus came forth as the first fruits. Now listen to this. James said this. James said of those of us that have been saved. He said in James 1:18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that he might be a kind of first fruit that we might be kind of a first fruits of his creatures. Now here's what he's saying. He's saying those of us that have been saved we are to the world just like Jesus is to our resurrection. 
that we are the first fruits of those that God wants to save. And just like Jesus came forth as the first fruits from the dead to be resurrected, you and I have been called out of the death of sin into the life of God, and He doesn't want it to stop with us. He just wants us to be the first fruits. He doesn't want us to be the total harvest. He wants us to be the front end of the harvest. He wants us to go out and harvest souls, and that brings us to the last of our, our harvest and that is the evangelistic harvest. And the evangelistic harvest is simply evangelism is a simple word or a complex word that means something simple. It means sharing the good news. John chapter 4, Jesus was with the woman at the well. That woman got a living water that she would never thirst again. She went into the town and told him to come see a man that had told me all that I've ever done. And whenever she told them that, here they started coming to Jesus. At the same time that those men that the woman at the well had talked to and said, come see the one, I think I've found the Messiah. As they were coming at the same time, the disciples were coming back and they said, well, we went and bought you something to eat. We went through McDonald's, got you a happy meal. He said, I've got meat that you don't know anything about. And they said, who gave the master something to eat? And then he responded to this as he sees those Samaritans coming. He said, you got a saying. And your saying is this. Your saying is, is that there's four months and then comes the harvest. But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. Now this was a proverb to them. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was uh, four months until the harvest in Samaria. It's not talking about the time of year. Jesus is probably saying to them, you've got a proverb. You plant a seed and you wait four months and you get a harvest. It was a proverb that meant this, good things come to those that wait. But Jesus said, i got another proverb for you. The early bird gets the worm. He said, your proverb says, if you'll just wait around here for something big to happen, there's going to be a harvest for souls. You know, there are people that really want to see people saved, but they're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for something big to happen. They're waiting for some big revival to take place. They're waiting for some big crusade to, 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 to take place. They're waiting for some cataclysmic event. They're waiting for something special to happen. They're waiting for God to move. They're waiting for God to do something big. But God says if you'll look around you and change your perception, you'll realize the harvest isn't four months away. That you don't have to wait for something big to happen. That there's something happening right now. There's already a harvest. And while we're waiting for God to do something really big, He's waiting for us to do something small. He's waiting for us to get out into the field and to begin to harvest the harvest that's already white under harvest. The Jews thought of that there was a golden age. And we've talked about it some in some of the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures that we use, that there was this golden age that was coming, that it was the harvest at the end, that it was, it was uh, where God would multiply his people, and it is coming. And the day of the Lord, and the kingdom coming. But when Jesus came, he didn't say, hey, Get ready, because one of these days, the kingdom of heaven's coming. That is not what he said. He said, all right, boys, I'm here, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm here, the kingdom of heaven is in you. 
And Jesus isn't saying, wait for some great outpouring. Wait for some great last day revival. If you will change your perception and get your eyes off of your feet and off of your circumstances and off of the ground and square your shoulders back and look around you, you'll find there's already a harvest that's white waiting for labor somebody to share the good news of the gospel. Now listen. Sometimes our problem with our perception is that we don't like the harvest that's out there. We don't like, we don't want to har- we don't like that grain. I hate to say this, but this is true. There's some people, they only like white grain, they don't like black grain. Some people don't like tan grain. Right? They only like certain kind of grain. And this was the problem. Here these Samaritans are coming and they are hated by the Jews. I remember when I was in this town, Jesus is at Jacob's well in a town called Sakar in Samaria. And that town is now called Nabalus. And I was able to go, Crystal and the kids and I were able to go into Nabalus and go to that very well and drink water out of that very well. But when we went, our guide who was a Palestinian Christian but was an Israeli citizen, so he was able to cross. We had to cross over into what's called the West Bank. We had to go through a checkpoint. We were going into Palestinian territory. There's a giant wall that separates that. While we were coming back in, we were delayed because there was somebody that had tried to crash through that wall. While we were in Israel, there were, there were uh, terrorist attacks going on, uh, you know, localized attacks going on. And so there's this giant wall. So here we are. We're going into Palestinian territory. We're going into West Bank. We're on enemy territory. We're in foreign territory. And our God had said, now you need to stick close to me. So I stuck close to him. I, I ain't brave. I'd rather be a live coward than a dead hero any day. I stuck right up under his shadow. I didn't know where Cameron uh, Crystal and the kids were. If they wanted to keep up, stay safe, they could. I was going with that guy. And I, I'm walking right by the guy, and two guy, two Palestinian guys came back by in a flatbed truck, and they had a loudspeaker on the back of that flatbed truck, and they were saying this. And it sounded just like to me they were saying death to the American infidel. And so I asked our God, I said, what do those fellas, what are they saying? He said he wants to know if you want to buy a lemon tree. <laughs> We've got our ideas about who our harvest needs to be. But I'm going to tell you, if you don't care if your harvest comes from the sand ridge, if you don't care if your harvest is some drug addict, if you don't care if your harvest is a drunkard, if you don't care if your har- harvest is a child molester or a homosexual, if you don't care who your harvest is. Now, if all you want in the harvest is bank presidents and, and physicians and doctors and lawyers and all of that, and they need saving too, absolutely. But if you're that choosy, you might have a hard time. But if you're willing to take any old harvest that God sends your way, there's plenty of work to be done. The problem is not a lack of opportunity. The problem is a lack of obedience. You say, well, what if I fail? Well, you know what they ask old uh, oh, uh, Babe Ruth one time said, what do you think about when you strike out? He said, I think about hitting home runs. 
He said, I'm not swinging for a strikeout. I'm swinging for home runs. And I'm going to tell you, when optimism meets obedience, that equals an opportunity. When you say, I don't have to wait around here for some golden age. Right now, God can use me to harvest souls. And I've got my eyes wide open. And I'm believing that what I do for God is going to matter. And I believe there's a process that I've been planting and sowing and watering. And I believe that's going to come to pass. So there's a promise. There's a promise that not only that the process works, that you sow seeds and you wait a while and you get a harvest. That does work. In fact, Jesus said, I won't read it to you because of the sake of time. But in that very story, Jesus says, all right, you got another saying. One sows and another reaps. And the sower and the reaper are going to receive the same wages. But he said, but I'm going to make it easy on you. I'm going to let you enter in to fields that you haven't sown. I'm going to let you harvest from seeds that have already been sown. In Samaria, in that part of the world, there had been the prophets Elijah and Elisha. But Matthew 13 says that Jesus himself, the Son of Man, is the one that sows the seeds. Jesus said, I'm going to take the excuse away from you that says, oh, Lord, I've just got, I got a plow, I got a plant, I got the water, I got to do all that. That's a lot of work. Jesus said, no. If all you want to do is harvest, there's plenty of fields that have already been planted. That all you got to do is be willing to go out there and get in there. In fact, there's a time of revival. Leviticus 26, 4 and 5 talks about it. Amos 9 and 13 talks about it. Amos says that there's a, a time where the harvest is so supernaturally influenced that by the time uh, that the, the, they get through sowing the seed, the plowman is right on the heel of those that are sowing. And by the time the plowman gets by, there's a reaper coming right behind him sowing. That God says in a time of revival that he is going to suspend or superintend the process that as soon as you drop one in the, in the ground, it's going to start to spout and grow. That's revival that he takes and says normally it might take a long time, but I'm wanting to do a work that you're not going to have any excuse. If you'll drop the seed in, I'll let it grow. Now here's the thing about it. We may have done the planting and the plowing and the weeding and the watering and all of that kind of stuff. And thank God that people have and do. But there are crops that are dying in the field. A crop is not a harvest until it is harvested. You can ride by and say, look at there all of that corn. And leave it right out there and let it rot on the stalk. What God needs is field hands. That's what God's looking for. In fact, that's what he said to them. He said, there's, the, there's it out there. It's right out there. So pray 
the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Matthew 9, 35 through 38, Jesus was teaching in the cities and villages, and the multitudes came to him, and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he sends out laborers into his harvest. There's peace and contentment in the Father's house today. Lots of food on the table and no one is turned away. There's laughter and singing as the hours pass by. But a hush calms the singing as the Father sadly cries. Push away from the table and look out through the window pane. Just beyond the house of plenty lies a field of golden grain. And it's ripened unto harvest. But the reapers, where are they? In the house, oh, count the children. Hear the father sadly say, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children, they all want to sit around my table. But no one wants to work in my fields. No one wants to work in my fields. God is looking for field hands. I've, I've watched movies where out west, when a harvest came in, rancher back a pickup truck back, and there'd be men standing in line waiting to be chosen just to go out and work in the fields. God said, there's a harvest waiting. I need some field hands. Jesus said in John 9 and 4, he said, I've got to get busy doing the works of him that sent me because the night's coming when it's going to be too late to work. If we can have a change of perception. I know where we are. I'm not oblivious to it. I know that our society is going from bad to worse. I know that many of you right in your own homes have faced the death of a loved one or ailment or sickness. I know we look around us even in the church and we say, doesn't seem like people are concerned. Doesn't seem like people are hungry for God. Doesn't seem like people are faithful. There's a lot of reasons for you to look down. But if you'll somehow, by the grace of God, square those shoulders back and look out, said there's a harvest it's not hard 
We don't have to wait for something. There's a harvest. Field hands want it. Would you stand? Father, in Jesus' name, God, would you change our perspectives today? God, what I'm preaching today isn't bad news. It's good news. It's that the sense of purpose and power and joy that we want as your children and as your servants is waiting right out there in the field. It's not all, no, I got to go out that field and harvest. It's the joy of harvest. That the key to my own personal revival is to be in your field. That the key to what I'm looking for is to be about your business. In fact, Lord, what you promised me was this, is that if I would go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, that you would go with me and you would never leave me. And you would never forsake me. God, the sense of your presence, your purpose, is not found by me waiting in the house. It's found by me laboring in the harvest. God, draw us to you and to yours. In Jesus' name.